why isn't there anybody interested in ministering to big struggling churches? <laughs> yeah. It's like, why do you, th- why do you think we need the help? <laughs> Welcome back to Reason Together, the podcast for Christians who think about stuff. I'm here today not with my good friend Daniel, uh, as usual. Uh, We have a special guest with us today, and Daniel is on a short hiatus taking care of some things, so hopefully he'll be back with us soon. Uh, But for the meantime, I have a, a friend of mine that I would like to introduce our audience to today, and that's Pastor Scott Blair. Uh, of Willow Grove Baptist Church in Waynesburg, Pennsylvania. He's going to be my guest today, and I'm going to be interviewing him in just a moment here. Uh, But before we get to that, uh, first, I'd like to thank our patrons over at patreon.com slash reason together. We certainly do appreciate all of you coming on board and supporting this podcast and helping us pay uh, people like our our blog editor and technical editor and our audio editor, uh, we thank you for that. Uh, we wouldn't be able to do that without you, and uh, and we appreciate you. If you would like to become a patron, you can head over to patreon.com slash reason together. Pick one of the various support levels there. There are three or four, if I remember right. Uh, and there are different perks with each, and you can become a supporter of the podcast and uh, join the conversation. We have a message board there that is active uh, with our patrons commenting and giving us ideas and uh, bringing their feedback to the various episodes that we've had. If you'd like to join that, again, that's patreon.com slash reason together. All right. Well, without further adieu, <laughs> uh, welcome Scott Blair uh, onto the podcast. How are you, Pastor Blair? I'm doing very well. appreciate being on with you today. Yeah. Yeah, it's good to to chat with you. We've been uh, friends for a number of years, and uh, I have always appreciated uh, our conversations uh, that we've had, always been blessed by them. So uh, when we decided we were going to have a guest on uh, uh, this time, I, I my my mind went, oh, I got to have Pastor Blair on there. So I'm glad that it worked out. Um, if you would please just take a moment to sort of introduce kind of yourself and, and where, what your background is and how you kind of ended up where you're at. Yeah. Well, first of all, I think, uh, I think it's kind of weird having a conversation uh, with you without a campfire and our feet up on a couple rocks. <laughs> it seems like yeah. where we usually have some conversation that, uh, this is true. Well, yeah, I was, I was born here in Waynesburg, Pennsylvania and, uh, you know, grew up a church going young man. My my parents always made sure I was in church, you know, so we, we went to a Christian church for a while and we ended up in an American Baptist church is basically where I, where I grew up mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, went to public school and all that and, uh, went on to college. I went to West Virginia university, got an undergraduate degree in, um, physical education and health and, you know, met a girl and, went to school to pick up, uh, work on my master's degree in special education, ended up getting married, getting a teaching job out here in the school district Mm -hmm. where the the church is at right now, actually. And, uh, um, you know, as, as, uh, as I got married and been a young family man, we got, um, a little more involved in church, I guess I fit, I think I fit a certain demographic of a young family man. So, uh, they asked me to, to teach a, a group of, uh, young, young boys, probably 12 year old boys that maybe ran off a few teachers. And, uh, so they, they at least knew I had some classroom management. So I took, I took those guys and, and then pretty soon I was, even though I didn't really understand what a deacon was scripturally, they asked me to be a deacon. So I tried my best to fill that role. And, and it was really through that experience that I began to question some things like, I'm not sure what, you know, 
seeing some maybe seeing some inconsistencies, even though I didn't really know, I didn't have any truth to really compare inconsistency. You know, right. I guess I'm thankful, you know, the, the kind of background I grew up in was, uh, was, uh, you know, it wasn't obviously not void of truth. I was exposed to a great deal of good, you know, sincere people, you know, doing their best to love the Lord, mm-hmm. but, um, things just weren't spiritually right, I guess. And, uh, it was about that time yeah. that, uh, a man from the church here came and visited us, visit, uh, visit us at a home that we li- didn't live too far from the church here and invited us down. And, uh, long story short, we attended a few services here and I really began being convicted about my salvation. You know, I, I know I was grew up in church and I knew I was baptized and, and such, but there was never that point in time where I remember being convicted and repenting and believing. And, you know, there was never that point of new birth, you know? And, right. uh, so, so long story short, I struggled over that for a while and, and, uh, got saved or got assurance of my salvation. One of the two, um, but I do believe I, I do believe I was saved and, uh, because things began yeah. to change, you know, after I, after I got that settled, really things began to change that were outside my control and boundary and the Lord began changing desires of my heart and such. And, uh, so, uh, as I began to grow and serve the Lord here in this church, uh, wasn't very long that I felt like the Lord had given me a desire to do something maybe as we would say full, full time. I had no mm-hmm. idea what that was, but I knew I needed more formal training. So I went to Connecticut seminary and, um, helped to get a church established there in Connecticut. And then, uh, wasn't long before the Lord, um, gave the opportunity to come back here and take the church here. And I've been here for the last, well, since 2007. So that's what 14 mm-hmm. going on, 14, 15 years. And I've just yeah. been laboring here in the, in my home, basically in my hometown, close enough yeah. to it. And uh, that's kind of yeah. my journey, I guess. Amen. Interesting. So you'd say the first thing that really started getting you to ask questions was when you were put in responsibility over young people and, and you were supposed to teach them what was right, but instead it kind of forced you to ask, do I know what's right? Is that perhaps the first time you started really asking questions? Absolutely. Yes. I, you know, inconsistency in my own life, but then what little bit I knew about the Bible, I could see some inconsistency there in the church, you know, and, uh, you know, for one example, you know, I was, I was, uh, you know, I drank and, uh, there would be many times I would be, uh, drinking on Saturday, you know, doing the man thing, working around the house, having a few drinks, and then, uh, you know, prepare for Sunday school and go off and teach Sunday school the next morning. And I began thinking, oh, something's not right there. I mean, that, yeah, something's not right. I, you know, even though I didn't, you know, there was never any, I really never heard any preaching about against any of that kind of stuff, but something just my conscience, something, this, this, this can't be consistent here, you know? Hmm. And, uh, and then some other things there and I thought, but that doesn't seem consistent either. And, you know, be honest with you, my wife, here's how the Lord works, right? So my wife, uh, my wife was, uh, we had talked and we thought maybe we'll see about maybe visiting a few other churches, you know, while I'm teaching Sunday school in the deacon, I'm having these thoughts, you know, and that didn't seem right <laughs> either. But again, I wasn't very, I didn't have a whole lot of discernment anyway. Uh, but anyway, the, the, uh, I was putting together a swing set for my daughter and the man who came to see me, um, he was out on visitation. They had just gotten a new pastor down here, and he was out on visitation, and he was actually out looking for homes with swing sets because he was wanting to visit some families that had children. And hmm. um, I just happened to be in my yard putting a swing set together. 
And he says, uh, talks to me a little bit. And I said, well, we're, you know, tells me he's come from this Baptist church down here. And I said, well, I actually go to Baptist church and we have a great conversation for a good while. He invites me down. It was a few weeks before we were actually able to come down here, you know, to get things arranged, but that's what we would do. I would teach Sunday school and then we, I would come out home and I grabbed my wife on the way to this church and we'd do Sunday, Sunday morning out here. We'd come in a little bit late, (laughs) but we did that for a while and then. Eventually, the Lord just moved us here completely. Hmm. But it's really the first time I ever heard really, you know, Bible, strong Bible preaching, you know, and truth. And I remember the first right. after first couple Sundays, I, we went, we got to the car, and I just sat in the car and looked at her and said, "This is this is it. I mean, this is what this is what's supposed to be. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm stirred up, I'm challenged, I'm convicted, I'm excited, I'm, you know, all these variable right. things that preaching does to you. Um, so, yeah, but that that's interesting. So so this obviously you're 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 an adult late, a little later in life than maybe a lot of folks in, in Baptist churches get saved. A lot of folks have the experience of getting saved as a child. Mm-hmm. But for you, this is, you're a married adult, you have children, and there was something, something in you that noticed kind of the conflict yes. <laughs> between what you, what you asserted to believe and, and what you were doing. And and it, that's interesting because it seems to me that a lot of folks, maybe in a similar position, um, are are almost unaware of their own inconsistencies, mm-hmm. and yet some some somehow you were able to notice that you were being inconsistent, and this this bothered you. And was there something you were you were like? What was the teaching like when you were a kid? Is that maybe responsible for for what helped you notice you were being inconsistent? Well. You know, I don't know if, uh, uh, you know, as I was probably about 30 years old or so when this happened, I might've been 29, 28, mm-hmm. you know, in that range. Um, I, you know, I don't, I don't know that it would be anything in my upbringing or anything that I had learned in, in the church there, you know, the church gave good, just a good basic Bible understanding of things, you know, um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> uh, I, I think, yes. I think I might, I might attribute it to the dynamic of having a child. When you have a child, when you have a child, you become keenly aware that you're responsible for somebody and they watch what you do. Yeah. And that's the only thing I can think of is it's that it's that dynamic of having a child. And now you look at things, you look at the whole world differently. You look at your whole life differently. Yeah. Because you're responsible for somebody else. And maybe it was that along with a combination of my upbringing and subtle things that I learned over the years at church that I thought, well, something's something just doesn't seem right. Right. Huh, that's interesting. So at some point here after after that you you felt some sort of leading into ministry, you went to seminary. Um now being what did you say 17 years? How, how long how long ago since you entered the ministry? Yeah, two I, uh, 2006, 2005 I helped start a church in Connecticut and then and then till now. So I've been back here since 2007, so Okay. That's fourteen, maybe going on fifteen years this year. Yeah. Are there are there ways in which you've seen kind of your own philosophy of ministry evolve in that time period? Uh, yeah, I would say so. I mean, uh, in many different areas, but even just even just the process of me trying to work, you know, after I worked through my salvation, working through this process of what God was doing in my life, I'm like a, I'm like a lot of us. We were exposed to a lot of preachers, a lot of missionaries. Uh-huh. You know, and they have most of them have a story of a big moment, you know, where 
something happened, something big happened. They know they're supposed to go to this continent or that continent and do this and do that. And I've he- I heard enough <laughs> right. of that to to begin to think, well, God can't be using me. I don't have that moment. You know, I don't I don't mm-hmm. have anything like that. All I have is my desires are changing. You see, um, you know, before I was before I was saved, my desire in life, I didn't have any great desires. I was happy teaching school. I wanted to continue to keep 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 uh, teach school. Um, I had a love and a passion for wrestling. I wrestled all the way up through college and, uh, I really had a desire to accomplish as a coach, what I never accomplished as a wrestler, you know, and, and, mm-hmm. and, you know, I was on path to do those things. I wanted a house out in the country with some land and, uh, maybe a pond eventually to go fishing in. And I, you know, that's where we lived out in the country. We had 20 some acres and, you know, I was doing all that. And then I go to this church right. down here, I get saved. And all of a sudden, all this stuff doesn't mean anything to me as much to me anymore. I'm coaching wrestling. I'm seeing the vanity of things. And I'm like, what's, what's happening? Right. Uh, I'm sitting at school, you know, and I'm reading my Bible before class starts, you know, the kids come and I'm thinking, I wish I could just keep studying. I don't want to have to teach school, you know, and, uh, but it was not me. It was the Lord working and, uh, mm-hmm. Anyway, it was, um, it ended up being, um, a missionary actually came and he, he was preaching from Psalm, uh, he was just mentioned Psalm, uh, 119, 105 lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And he basically made the point that that lamp unto your feet was just enough to basically, so you could light, take your next step or so. And when you took mm-hmm. that step, the Lord would, you know, the, the light would light the next step. And it yeah. was like a light bulb came on. I'm like, yeah, God's working in my life. I have these desires. Um, I don't have this moment of where God's saying, you're going to be a pastor wherever, or you're going to be a missionary wherever. Um, then he says, you need to take the next step. And the next step I knew was I needed some more formal, in-depth Bible uh, instruction yeah. and, and, and preparation. I need more preparation for that. So, you know, the Lord led us to Connecticut and I got that. And as, as that went on, God began to narrow down that, you know, I think it's the pastorate. And then eventually when that was, when the right time was come, he led opportunities and had opportunities to where, you know, the place of where, but it was a Mm step-by-step thing. It wasn't this one big thing where I knew that I was going to be this and that and, or one big decision. It was a series of decisions and choices. And, uh, you know, that began to cause me to think, why do we do things the way we do? You know, why we, why do we try to get, why do we try to get? you know, preteen, teenage kids to make a decision when they're that young to do something that maybe God hasn't even given the desire to do, but you have the desire for them to do that. And, right, you know, they make a decision, a choice that maybe isn't God's will for them or not God's will yet. You know, these kids don't have any, yeah. you know, a lot of times they don't have any qualifications yet. You know, they're, they're not married. Mm-hmm. They don't have any children yet. They haven't proven themselves. They're still novices. They probably, most kids that grew up in Baptist churches probably spend more time being served than serving. So they haven't even shown themselves mm-hmm. to be faithful in that which is least yet. But you're trying to get them to commit to doing that, which is, you know, right. This great, I mean, it's a, it's a big life choice. And uh, I'm thinking, well, why, sure. why, do we, why do we do it that way? Um, yeah. Yeah. I, that's, that's interesting. I was recently talking with someone who was explaining to me this situation where, their church essentially folded. Mm, yeah. And part of the reason was the pastor had just kind of gone off into some pretty wild views about some mm. things, doctrinally speaking. And <clears throat> kind of it, long story short, it turns out when he, he, he the, the, the man got saved when he was a teenager, 16, 17 years old, mm. they rush him off to Bible college. <clears throat> they train him there for four years, fill his head with lots of Bible information. And essentially, you know, they, they, they pat him on the backside, send him out the door after four years saying, okay, you're ready for ministry. 
Mm. Uh, when, when really there should have been some questions asked in, at first, you know, should we send a novice to go train for the ministry? Sure. Uh, the college should ask, should we receive a novice to train him for ministry? And then should we send him out making him think he is ready for ministry? Because like one of the key dangers of that is that they would be swayed by false beliefs very easily. Um, and, and sure enough, that's kind of what happened. And you have to wonder where is the discernment mm-hmm. in kind of the, the standard protocol? Because uh, that, would, that would kind of fit some of the standard protocol, at least in part. Um, for, for what happens in a lot of Baptist churches. Um, so I, I agree with you, you know, that there's, there's a lot of push to, to get people to enter the ministry who may, maybe not, maybe who shouldn't go at least not yet, or, or shouldn't consider it yet. Um, right. there was, uh, there was something else that, that we talked about once kind of shifting gears a little bit here. One of the questions I really wanted to ask you about um, we had a conversation once again, again, it was by a campfire. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and you know, when, when you, when you got saved, I'm sure that at some point, you know, becoming a member of a church after that, there was some sort of perhaps procedure, mm-hmm. if I can use that term for at least verifying that your profession of faith was credible. And I remember you saying something to me that sounded very Puritan-esque. And, and I'm not saying that as as a denigration of what you said, but it was a common practice of, um, you know, the Puritans, and then and later on, this would be even further adopted by by the Quakers. But the the, the notion of uh, testifying publicly mm-hmm. to the church of your salvation experience, um, and and again, I could even find issues with the term salvation experience, but. Um, you know, oftentimes when people join a church today, there's at least a private conversation, or perhaps there should be a private conversation to get the person's testimony of salvation. And I remember you telling me something that I don't see any problem with having someone testify publicly uh, their 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 testimony of salvation. Um, can you kind of talk about that for a minute and, and your thoughts on that? Is that something that you still kind of think is a, a good idea? I, I do. I, I mean... For one thing, um, you know, I try to try to. Of course, everybody person that joins our church, I try to have a thorough, kind of a thorough time at the beginning to make sure that they understand what we believe and what being a church member means and what's expected of them, and you know, so that they're not going in blind. I'm not just dunking them. I mean, uh, if yeah. you will, and uh, and understand what baptism is, and to talk to them. Are they scripturally saved? Have they been scripturally baptized? Is that something that needs to happen? So try to work all that out there uh, ahead of time, just privately with the individual. But when it's time to present them to the church and then to do the baptism, I do encourage them. I don't make them do that, obviously. Um, Mm. But I say, you know, if you can, it doesn't have, I mean, you don't have to get up and preach a sermon, but if you can, just in simple, in a simple, brief way, give a short testimony of how the Lord has brought you to this place that, you know, Uh, and how you know how you were saved, and what what are some of the what are some of the uh, things that were happening in your life? And I, I try to encourage them to do that, not because uh, I think it's good for the church to hear it. It encourages right. it, the people. It really it encourages them to hear it. But I think it's good for the from the person themselves. Yes, from the person's own mouth. Yeah, and you know, it, it and it and it does give a sense of accountability in a sense that I'm not just saying this in private, and I don't you know. 
So right. there, there, it gives a sense of seriousness and accountability to the to the event. I think scripturally it says, you know, you confess with your mouth. Um, mm-hmm. So what does that mean? You know, what does confessing with your mouth mean? Does that mean obviously? Uh, I don't think it excludes that. I don't think it. <laughs> sure. I don't think it's exclusively standing up in front of church. Sure. But it doesn't exclude it for sure. And, sure. Uh, well, because in a lot of places you'll see the <clears throat> the pastor kind of gives a short biography um, of the person's testimony sure. of salvation, and the candidate themselves doesn't really ever say anything. But do you think there's also some val uh, some value in the candidate <clears throat> uh, actually uh, showing that they're invested, not just by the act of baptism, mm-hmm. but but by actually being willing to speak publicly about it. Is there maybe some signification of investment there? I, I believe so. I mean, you're ma- you're you're basically standing yeah. up there by yourself, telling the church about your salvation and your intentions. You want to, you know, I've been saved. I want to be baptized. I know that's his next act of obedience, and you're publicly saying that. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I think it's good. You know, along a parallel line, I do the same thing for funeral, especially for somebody if I don't know the person. I try to encourage. Are there anybody in the family that would speak? You know, you don't have to get up there and do the funeral sermon, but if you could just get up there and say a few words about your loved one, I think it'd be it would be helpful to me. It would be helpful to the people who are in attendance to hear from a loved one, you know, and it might actually be mm-hmm. good for you. I mean, uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. There's sometimes you 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 get back, you know, you you take the easy way out sometimes of things and then and then and then the moment passes and you're thinking, "Oh, I wish I'd have spoke at dad's funeral or, you know, Something like that. I wish I'd have done that. Right. Um, but you yeah. don't because it's easy. It's an easier way out. So, uh, you know, we don't need we don't. One thing we don't need in our Christianity is an easier way out of doing what we ought to maybe do, because right. cr- the Christian life is about making the decision and going against the flow and and doing the hard thing. So why not? Why not make something might be challenging to somebody at the very beginning? Now, you know, if somebody just can't, I you know, I say, right. well, you're going to stand up there. I'll ask you questions. You affirm. Yes or no, you know, so, I, you know, it's not like I'm hardcore about right. that, but I did try to encourage them. Sure. And I just tell them like this. I said, listen, do you know how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? Yep. Well, how do I know? <laughs> yeah, I could tell you real easy how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I could tell you, I could take 20 minutes and tell you, or I could take two seconds to tell you, but I, right. I know how to, you know, so if you've been saved, I'm not asking you to get up and give every theology of the, do- you know, all the doctrine around it. Can, right. you, can you just get up there and say, listen, I was a lost sinner. I became aware of that through the preaching. Here, you know, pastor's been preaching the gospel. Somebody gave me a gospel track. Somebody talked to me about Jesus. You know, I've seen my need. I've repented. I've trusted the Lord as my Savior. I'm ready to be baptized. Well, that's, you know, other than the public aspect of it, if you're saved, you should be able to explain a little bit of some basic details of how how the Lord saved you, what the Lord's done. Yeah, well, I think uh, a saved church membership, as much as many Baptists today assert it as one of the, you know, perhaps S's in the acrostic. Yes, right, <laughs> right, right. There's, there's, there's not a lot of value placed on it uh, in some places, and you know, I hate to pick on the big churches, but there may be a reason that they're big, and one of those reasons may be a lack of attentiveness to really verifying a saved church membership. Would you agree? Yes. I think I think it's a I think it's you know it doesn't fall directly into church discipline but it really it really is the first part you know where you're making sure you have a regenerate church member at the beginning mm-hmm. um, and then you know that's the other half of it is that you know many times you know for the sake of numbers what do we, what do, what do we do we 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 don't do anything as far as 
uh, joining the church because we want them to make it as easy as possible. And then when they yeah. don't act like a safe person, we don't discipline them anyway until, you know, a certain point, you know, again, it's, you know, I think a lot of things scripturally are, are difficult and we're prone to want to do what's easier. Sure. Now I am, you know, I'm right. not saying I'm not standing in judgment of anybody else. I am, but I see the value right. in doing things scripturally. And even if it's the harder way, there's value in that. And sure. you know, most of the time you don't well, regret and, and it. As oftentimes... Yeah, as oftentimes things goes, you know, it may it may seem harder at the the front end, you know, but front loading with the hard thing oftentimes brings some ease later on and and you know, like you said about matters of church discipline, you know, ensuring a saved church membership at least to the best of one's ability, which is perhaps another conversation, yeah. is uh it oftentimes prevents those issues of discipline later. Yes. Uh, that oftentimes are a lot messier it's a lot than harder. just taking the time, yeah, than just taking the time to verify yeah. someone's testimony of salvation. Obviously, we can't know with a hundred percent certainty. You know, some people can can really give all the right answers and say all the right things, and maybe even have some evidences in their life and such. And we kind of have to just take the uh, the preponderance of evidences that we have and, and go with it. Oftentimes, but you know, it's it's better to do that at the front end than have to discipline at the back end. Absolutely. I mean, and, and, um, you know, I think you're absolutely right about, about what you're saying. You can't, you can't see a person's heart. It's not a, it's not a perfect science. You know, as of yet, I have not been able to see somebody's heart. You right. know, I wish somebody, right. I wish the Lord made it easy. You know, like I put a purple spot on you to make sure, okay, where's your purple spot? You know, okay, you're saved. That right. made it much easier, but you can't. Right. You can only discern the best you can discern. Right. And, and so I don't want to sound like you're trying to make three people jump through hoops to join the church because that's not what it is. You know what sure. you're doing? You're just trying to be careful. If you're a pastor, you're a shepherd and the shepherd should be, should be, mm -hmm. you know, very careful about the sheep and, and what, you know, so you're just being careful as all. And it's for you. Right. It's for you. It's, right. it's what's best for you. It's, it's what's best for them. It's what's best. I mean, if that's, you know, that's the way I look at it. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you. And and kind of, you know, shameless plug here. <laughs> there was an article that I once wrote for my personal blog, um, thomasbelzamo.com. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, shameless plug. But uh, it was called Scientifically Testing Salvation Claims. And to give you kind of the conclusion of it, there's really only one hard and fast way to test someone's claim of salvation. And and that is, do they have a false gospel? Mm, yeah, <laughs> um, you know, and you know, if you ask them, what do you believe about salvation? How do you believe a person is born again? And you know, and they say, well, I, I think if you do the best you can, then you'll get to heaven when you die. Well, that's a hard pass. Yes, right, absolutely. <laughs> you know, so so the truth is the only scientific empirical aspect of someone's salvation claim. Whereas the other evidences that the Apostle John gives us in his first and second epistle, you know, about uh, obedience, mm -hmm. right? A trend of obedience in one's life and a trend of loving the brethren and so mm -hmm. on. Those things are kind of um, on, on a scale perhaps, and, and not, not a normal distribution. They kind of are in flux throughout a person's life many times. Uh, and that's a lot harder for us to know. In fact, I would say it's impossible for us to know. Because we lack the 
omniscience of God. Right. <laughs> right. He knows that someone's degree of obedience. He knows someone's degree of love for the brethren. The only thing we know for sure is whether or not someone believes a true gospel or a false gospel, because that has been given to us to know. Right. I agree hundred percent. Those other ones are are important. Obviously they're part of scripture. Yes. They, they can be very Absolutely. subjective because you, you know as well as I do that there are people that are very good at conforming outwardly, but obedience is more than just outward conformity. It's the heart as well. So, um, Right. Absolutely. The, uh, the, the church that you pastor there, I've been there uh, a number of times and, and stayed there in your, your prophet's chamber and fellowship with you a number of times. And um, there's, there's something, uh, I don't know how to describe it. It's it's kind of like you feel like you're away from the world. <laughs> um, it's a little country like church, yeah. kind of on this country road, and um, it, it's a small. It's what you what people today call a small church, and and you know it wasn't it wasn't even just a few years ago there was pastors, mm -hmm. right? People someone was a pastor, but now there's, there's almost this, uh, its own designation that someone is a small church pastor. Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, why do you think now there is a distinction between being a, a, just a regular pastor and a small church pastor? Well, that's a good one. Uh, I don't, I don't know if I can give any direction on that, you know, um, other than, other than, you know, as far as man goes, I mean, what, uh, Man looks on the outward, God looks on the heart. So man's always assessing things right. outwardly, and we have this wrong idea that that God uses big things, or big things are better, or big big things do more. So I don't know. I don't know if it's just the nature of man to classify things as big church, small church. You know, I, if I if yeah. I mention the size of our church when I'm talking to people, or you know, if people ask, I just the only reason I say it is to give them a sense of. Mm -hmm. what the church is like, you know, I don't, you know, if you're coming to visit and I say, no, you know, we're a smaller church out in the country. Um, mm -hmm. you know, we're pretty rural. I mean, you, you know, yeah. I mean, I know, I'm sure there's some anomalies, but, um, you know, if you live in a metropolitan yeah. area, you've got a chance of having a bigger church and you know, your church philosophy has a lot to do with whether you're going to have a bigger church or not too. And, you know, that's, that, that's what I was kind of hoping you'd get at there. Um, in what ways does your philosophy, in a sense, affect the size of your church? Well, I, you know, I think I think I've, as I've grown as a pastor, and you know, I've, I think you know, to answer the question with a little bit of a little bit of background, I didn't come out, you know, because of my um, growing up in an American Baptist church and then being kind of in an independent Baptist church. And then going off to seminary, I didn't. I didn't have a whole lot of baggage in one area or another, um, so that did cause me to, you know, kind of not just question why do we do things the way we do, and and uh, along those lines. But I did have enough that I would almost every year perpetually here. I would be uh, at some point of the year I'd become frustrated uh, about the ministry mm -hmm. and about the church, and we could be bigger, and we could, you know. These people aren't coming anymore, or you know, you know the normal pastor stuff. You know, you you get frustrated by things. Mm -hmm. And uh, every year, I'd have for about eleven years, I had a man, an old, an older man, Mister uh, Davidson, Harold Davidson. I think you might have met him. He was uh, at Bible Baptist Church there. And anyway, he uh, he would come every year, and he would just simply say, "Scott, the uh, the most important thing you have to offer people is the truth. And if they won't come and stay for the truth." what do you really have? And that would right. settle me down. That would settle me down till, you know, until that 
kind of that baggage of we've got to be big, we've got to be grown, we've got to, you know, until that baggage kind of wore off of me and I had to come to the concession, I had to come to the conclusion that, you know what, the results of my ministry don't determine whether or not I'm being faithful to what God's called me to do. What I do mm-hmm. week in and week out, whether there's results or not, is what determines whether I'm doing what God wants me to do. And as a matter of fact, I can get away from God's will and make things happen if I want to. Right. I can change the music in our church, and I can change the atmosphere in my church, and I can change the preaching, and I can move away from the Bible or change the Bible I'm using, and I can develop a philosophy of ministry that, you know, we're a little church out in the country, but we could get bigger. I'm not saying we could be a big church, but we could get much bigger if, if right. we change some things. But sure. see, I'd have to compromise the truth for that. I think you, uh, you end up getting down to the place where as a, as, a, yeah. as a ministry, you have to decide at some point in your pastorate, What's more important, people or truth? Right. Because you, right. Cause really yeah. you cannot appease both. Um, and I, I, see yes. this, I see this in the Lord's ministry. The Lord was never willing to surrender truth for people, but he was willing to let people right. go away from him because they wouldn't receive the truth. So if he's, if he's right. the great shepherd and that's his philosophy of ministry, and that ought to be my philosophy of ministry. I ought to hold to the truth, try to preach and teach the truth and practice the truth and let God, you know, God right. gives the increase. All I am, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a sower, I'm a waterer. God gives the increase. He's in charge right. of that, not me. And right. uh, so it was very, yeah, very liberating. So I'm just going to preach the truth yeah. and teach the truth. And the people who want the truth will be here. The people who don't want the truth will, be, will stay as long as they're willing to stay and then they'll depart. Yeah. Yeah, there's. Uh, I think there's a John chapter six reference there. Uh, I think when uh, Jesus spoke about himself being the bread of life, and he said some pretty hard things yes. to swallow there, um, and uh, a lot of folks started leaving, mm-hmm. and he didn't really attempt to retain them, did he? No. Um, hmm. Interesting and, thought. And th- that is not the, that is not the question. The Lord's love of people. There is no doubt. God cares and loves about people. I mean, Calvary is the demonstration right. of that. But yeah. but truth is a part of him and who he is. He is truth. So Right. Obviously there with that kind of philosophy of ministry, there's uh I mean there, there's there's challenges to ministry. And and I was talking with my wife recently and she was mentioning some things to me that uh I guess a conversation she'd had with someone else that um they were they were a group of guys talking and and he brings up the question about their pastor and says we should pray about our pastor's burdens. And it seemed like a foreign concept to the other men in the group mm. that the pastor has burdens too. Mm. And when my wife told me this story, you know, I said, I said, well, I guess I'm kind of wanting to be careful because there seems to be two sides of the aisle here. Mm. One side of the aisle loves to talk about how burdened pastors are and how hard pastors have it and how they're suffering from depression and how there's there's all sorts of suicidality and all these other issues with pastors. And they want to talk about how hard it is to be a pastor. The other side seems to be almost uh, blissfully ignorant. They almost come across, honestly, for lack of a better word, stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, because they, they come across as, oh, it's all, there's always joy in serving mm-hmm. Jesus. And, and I'm just never sad. I'm never unhappy. There's never, there's never anything that gets me down. And, and they, they seem either, you know, shallow or in, in denial or something like that. And, and as with many things, I think the answer is somewhere in the middle. What do you think about the conversation about pastoral burdens? 
is it is it the drive of leadership to say we should never talk about the hardships of pastoring? Should we just always ignore that? Is that just leadership? Or is there value in making the average Christian aware that pastors do have burdens too? Because a lot seem unaware of that. What do you what do you think? Yeah, I think I think balance, like you said there in this situation, I think is is where it's at because, you know, on one side, overemphasizing the burdens you know, creates certain types of problems. On the other side, not ever mentioning creates another kind of problem. In right. other words, people who might consider going into the ministry might only see the the benefits and never see the struggle and they, they're they deceived. Oh, I want to be a pastor right. too. Oh yeah. So, and then they get in there and they realize, oh, this is not what I thought it was um, because they only saw right. this. It's work. Yeah. They only saw this one part of it. Then the other side, you know, if it's always bad and doom and gloom, well, nobody's ever going to want to do that because they're thinking, why would I want to do that? You know? And right. I think, you know, I think a lot of it comes around with again it's it's man it's our humanity when it comes to this thing of the pastorate you know I try I try I, I know in our church I try as much as possible to just say you know what yes I'm the pastor that's a position but I was a lost sinner who needed to be saved just like everybody else I am a church member mm-hmm. I'm a member of this church just like you guys I just happen to be the pastor but I am a member right and uh, right. you know I have a family I have children you know my children are not perfect we have struggles we don't do everything right. You know, so you, you, I think you have this realistic idea that what it, what is a pastor? Is a pastor somebody just like you, uh, you know, trying to maybe just teach a little bit of pastorology, if you will, that, uh, <laughs> that you know, there are great days. There are days where, you, you know, um, like myself, uh, I think the call to the ministry, I think the one of the biggest things that really settled it for me is it didn't go away. The desire didn't go away. It right. never went away. Uh, it would ebb and flow. Sometimes I was more joyous and sometimes less joyous, but it was always there. It was a constant, you know? Right. And, you know, that's really what, I think, what sustains you through a, a bunch of that. But, uh, you know, aside from that, just being able to talk to the people and you know, especially with, I mean, you, I can only influence the people that are in our church. You know, I don't have a mm-hmm. television station or something. And I try to get them to see yeah. so that they understand what a pastor is, because sooner or later, I'm not going to be the pastor of this church anymore. Either I'm going to die or somebody's going to move on. And I want to do the best job I can as a pastor to prepare our people for the next person who comes and the next person who comes be able to walk into a church that says, OK, well, this church understands this role. You know, right. I, I, I cannot be Superman. You know, when I'm when right. I'm frustrated, you know, I'll be honest with you, when I'm frustrated, it comes out in my preaching. I, it's like you try to I mean, I can see it coming. You know, I can, mm-hmm. I can see it coming and say, you know what, you're, you're in a position here, you know, either emotionally or frustrated or something. And, and you can almost say, you can almost feel, okay, I'm trying my best. I got this message. I'm going to try not to let yes. things get out of hand, but you get behind the pulpit and then, you know, sometimes the dynamic and you're like, ah, I felt like, I felt like my flesh got the best of me. You know, my, whatever I'm struggling with at the moment, whatever frustration I felt like it, you know, people can pick up on it. And uh, right. I don't know. Sure. It's a, it's a challenging thing too, I think, with preaching. And, and it's um, preaching is unlike anything I'd ever done before. And, and, and I'd, have, I'd had a lot of vocations since I was old enough to work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I'd had a lot of different vocations. Preaching is one of the most unique and different things I've had ever done. And, and one of the struggles I think in it is as you study through something and you're preparing something, you never really sit down with the intent of preaching at a person or about a person or something that's specifically applicable to a person. But as you're studying through the things and the applications start to come through, you can kind of start to see people in it 
mm-hmm. you know, like you can kind of see who that might be for, you know, uh, there might be an application, whether negative or positive, it might be for me. It might be for someone in the church. It might be for someone I know, a family member. So, and it's like, how do you, it's difficult to divorce that from the preparation of a message. Right. And, and I don't know if you have any struggle like that too. I mean, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I do. I think, <laughs> I think one of the safeguards, like I try, I try most of the time not to preach topical messages. I try to preach through books. I try to preach through right. these or, you know, uh, things like that, because that really safeguards against me looking at a person and looking at their problems, say right. they need a, me- they need a message on this. Right. That being, yeah, yeah, no, I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not referring specifically to topical messages, right. like even just textual or expository messages as you're preparing for them, applications Especially, come through and it's like, right. how do well, I, I understand what you're I saying. Get, yeah. Yeah. Preaching it's expository a, a guards you against that because I, I used right. to have a pastor at say, you know what? The next message is just the next message. So if you think I'm aiming this at you, it's just the next message. I'm not planning these messages yeah. this way. That's a good point. And, and 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 like you say, there, it gives you a little bit of liberty because you can't help but study a passage yeah. and begin to see, you know, uh, see application and see some of the people that you know you're preaching to to um, say, you know, maybe this would be a yeah. from my perspective a good application for them. Maybe they need to get a hold of this. But one to me, one of the humbling things was, and I you know, I say this to the church every once in a while, is I say, you know, if I if I preach something that seems to be really like I'm like I've been reading your mail or you know that phrase. <laughs> First of all, I don't I don't do that. Second of all, when I thought I've been close to doing that, the people that I've have in mind don't they ended up not even coming to church. So what good would that do for me to what good would that do right. for me to prepare a message aimed at directly at you and I don't even know whether you're going to come or not. You know? So it's like right, it was like right. foolishness. So I, I try to right. I try to do that, but it is it I mean Yeah, no, it's you know, it saved my hide before when someone has come after the service and said you were preaching that about me, weren't you? You were preaching that to me. It's like, no, it was just the next message. No, it, was, <laughs> it was just the next verse that came along uh, as we were going through the series. So it's uh, it, it's helpful. Yeah. I mean, so I think Ooh. I think being realistic, I guess going back to your original question, being realistic about what a, you know the pastorate and what it is and who's doing it is, right. is important. That it is not, you know, realistically, it is not always, you know, the best of what you see. I yeah. think a lot of people, like even, you know, evangelism, if you will, uh, you know, you got the guy that blows into town and dynamic, mm-hmm. living in, the, you know, living in a motorhome or sleeping in hotels, nice suit, going out all day with the pastor. He comes, he preaches at night. Everybody's mm-hmm. enamored, you know, and he's off to the next place. And, and uh, you're thinking, wow, I want to, I want to be a preacher, you know, and, <laughs> and, and even for them, that's not what it is. It's, it's a lot of things that you don't see that aren't necessarily pleasant or. Right. Um, but see, so many times we just see the, we just see the surface or, you know, right. I think it's good sure. to be honest with people to know the pastor does get frustrated and the pastor does sometimes maybe, maybe you do get dep- depressed. I think, you know, I don't know if I could identify real strong depression, but it is possible. I mean, I, you know, it's possible for a pastor to get in a dark place sometimes because you do yeah. feel sometimes isolated in your, sure. um, or like Elijah. Yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah. And, uh, I hmm. know I had. I know I had like a, a Jeremiah moment one time where I was going through a tough time of uh, trying to deal with frustrations and disappointments in the ministry. And I, I, I studied hard all week and maybe I was overtired. I preached the message that morning and it felt like the apathy 
felt so thick in the church. Hmm. Like I was just wasting it. You know, I'm sure it was a spiritual. I think it was probably maybe the strongest spiritual maybe attack I've had in the pulpit. But the hmm. apathy, you know, like people yawning and like, uh, you know, when are you going to be done? And I close right. the service and I, I have a way out of the back of the church. I, cl- I asked somebody, I asked one of the men to come close the service and I left the pulpit and I was already crying by the time I got to the back of the church. I ran across the driveway. We live right at the church. Took everything off, climbed into bed, pulled the covers up, and I said, I'm done. I'm never going to go back. I'm never going to do it again. I've had enough. You know, it's like, like Jeremiah. You know, so you do yeah. get to these places. I've been to these places. I'm sure other pastors, maybe not exactly that same experience, but you get to these places where there is spiritual warfare and there is a spiritual attack. And whether there's apathy right. or not, that doesn't mean that Satan's not going to cause you to have imaginations of um, apathy that right. you have to deal with or, you know, uh, those kind of things that that are tough. So you know, praying for your pastors. You know, it's not that the not that his life's so miserable or hard, but at the same time, if you don't think there's not going to be struggles and frustrations and disappointments and discouragements and things like that, that's what your pastor needs prayed for because there, there's these things going on all the time. Right, right. And I think if a pastor doesn't experience that struggle, he's probably not doing real ministry. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah, those those things certainly happen. And you, you know, you know what you, you know what happens. I I took a nap, <laughs> and my wife came and comforted me, and I was back in the pulpit on Sunday night. You know, and I'm you know I, I got up the next morning and I thought, what was I thinking yesterday? You know, I I can't I can't stop preaching. You know, right. this is that's what I'm talking about about that little motor that doesn't go away. Right, it lets me know that's the Lord's putting that desire there for me. Yep. I know what you're talking and, about. Uh, you know, going back to that, you know, that's how I knew. That's that's ultimately how I knew that what the Lord was. See, what I some guys talk about their call to preach, or you know, I don't. I, I, that's a whole another topic here, the call. But mm-hmm. um, I was beginning to think, am I putting my struggle wasn't like I don't want to preach, but God's wanting me to preach, but I don't want to preach. That that I wasn't wrestling with it that way. What sure. I was wrestling yeah. with is I'm thinking, is this something that I'm that I'm that I want? I mean, is this, am I producing this desire in myself? Like, is this, you know how you get infatuated with yeah. this or that or the next thing? Yeah. And then, and, then, sure. and then it dies down and you're off to the next thing. And I was thinking, is this me? Am I producing this or is this something God's doing? Yeah. And when it never went away, that's, a, that's how I knew. I'm like, you know what? This has got to be God because it's not going away. Yeah. That's a good point. And um, I have a question about that. Um that we'll probably take into the after show. So we're going to, we're going to have to land the plane sure. now and, and uh, head over into the after show. And the question I want to ask you, so you can be thinking about it as we kind of make this transition here. The saying I've heard before is <clears throat> if, if God calls you to, if you think God calls you to preach, if there's anything else you can do and, and like it, right. If there's anything else you could see yourself doing, then you're probably not called to mm-hmm. preach. I want to ask you about that question in the after show. Um, if if you're an elite patron, listeners, you get to go and hear that <clears throat> that discussion. If not, you can go over to patreon.com slash reason together and you can become an elite patron there and get access to the after show. Uh, but Pastor Blair and I are going to move over there and continue the discussion. Uh, if the name Pastor Scott Blair sounds familiar to you, it's because he is one of our blog contributors uh, and he recently wrote an article that just published on reasontogether.fm. Uh, so if you would like to read that, and I encourage you to do that, there were some pretty succinct and uh, interesting things that I thought he said there. Uh, one, one, one paragraph that, that I read in his article 
just intrigued me and it was an interesting thought. Uh, I'm not going to spoil it for you, but head over to reasontogether.fm and uh, look for the article titled The Challenge of Submission. And, uh, and that's by Pastor Blair. And I think you'll, uh, you'll get a good read out of that. And again, that's over at reasontogether.fm. <clears throat> we certainly appreciate you listening and being along with us. Uh, as always, we are encouraging balance, developing perspective, and connecting faith to practice. This is Reason Together.